in Genesis. Of course, you, most of you have been here before know that we're in the Gospel of Genesis, currently in chapter 45. Um, God willing, we'll actually even jump into 46 today. We've got really a couple really fun things to look at in our text. Uh, really, if I could kind of name it in regards to this, it's almost like what we're looking at is when Pharaoh looks more like God than dad. Uh, we are going to see, and we'll see how far we can get into this. We're going to see some really, really beautiful things. But if you remember, Joseph has been reconciled to his brothers. He bawled, uh, you know, cried a lot as a result of it. And, and now he's in a situation where what he really wants to do is take care of them. We are two years in the famine. So there's five years of hard times left to go. And in that particular period of time, uh, Joseph wants to make sure his family is taken care of. He has learned that his father is still alive. And that's great news to him. And he, of course, hasn't seen his dad in over 20 years. And he wants to get his dad there. And so we are now in verse 16 of 45. Read along with me if you would. Then Joseph did not himself before we started that chapter. And it says, Now the report of it was heard. In Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Unload, or I should say, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your household and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them carts according to the commandment of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave them all, each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten male, I'm sorry, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. Notice they're not going to say, well, we thought we'd go, but we didn't. Um, or we sold him off, and the glory is, they're just going to make him, you know, probably ruin the day. There's good news, let's just leave it like that. Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when he, they told him all the words which Joseph had said to him, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the vision 
right? And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Oh, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Means, in other words, when you die, Joseph will be the one closing those eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with them. His sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters and all of his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. We pray with you, please. God, thank you so much for the beauty of this text. We thank you for what you're going to do in this time. We thank you for the mercy of that brings the occasion we feel in this room. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to us profoundly. Let us have fun. Let your scripture come alive for us, Lord, and minister profoundly to each of us, speaking to us individually as well as corporately, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would minister, and in ministering to us, that we would find ourselves in love with you today, irreparably, irreversibly so, and in doing so, Lord, minister so beautifully, so profoundly, Lord, that we can say, wow, wonderful God, if there be any who have yet to know you, let this be the time of their salvation. Let this be the time when you show them the choice and they make it to follow you. But for each of us, may we all be willing to take that next step in our walk with you. Have your way now, I pray. In Jesus' name, your name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflow and immerse you that you would be through me what I cannot feel you through. And may your scripture come alive for each of us now. We commit this and ask you Would say today is that when any please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true, because I say so. Search the scripture, let the Bible have the final say. Lord, you can turn on these lights, um, even though it is a bit bright in here. Here's where we're at. Joseph has now wept aloud. He remember has screamed in, in, in Egyptian. Everyone flees the room so that Joseph can reveal himself to them. And all of a sudden, we have the response from Pharaoh. Interesting, because the rules have reversed, at least at Joseph's confession. Because he says that Joseph has become like a father to Pharaoh. Though Pharaoh is kind of Daddy Warbucks. He's the guy with the money. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact of who this guy is. And how radically different this guy may appear to be from our traditional view of a Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is considered a god or the gods incarnate or a god plus incarnate. He's, in essence, very unapproachable and he's responsible for the Ka. Again, that's sort of the order of the universe. Which, of course, this Pharaoh will be very, very different from the Pharaoh we'll see in Exodus 3 to 12, the one that Moses is going to go toe-to-toe with four generations from now. Now, but I'd like you to consider, I mean, I, I kind of think of the guy as sort of stoic. His job is sort of to pronounce curses on people. And he sort of sits aloof and lets everyone kind of go about their business until he has to intervene. Sad to say, that's many people's view of God. 
is that kind of aloof watchmaker that kind of put things into motion and now basically is letting you struggle through life and you're sort of the sport, you know, you're sort of the struggle channel, all struggle, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, the Lord sort of, and for, for some sick fun, calls the angels together and watches you go through it without any involvement, unless you need to be punished. Now, if that's your view of God, nothing can be further from the scripture for a God like that. And even when we look at Pharaoh here, we're going to see five things, and I'll go through them quickly because I'm really excited about getting to, to this progression between Jacob and Israel. But I'd like you to look at the first of them, because it kind of shatters our view of them right away. In verse 16, it says, The report was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. And so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. I'd like you to think about what kind of relationship this guy must have with these people that the concept of Joseph being reconciled to his brothers actually pleases Pharaoh. And now, first of all, I don't think of Pharaoh as a pleasable guy. I kind of think of the guy that sits still enough and stoic enough that it would be really easy to carve a statue out of him. But, but I look at this guy and I realize this guy's got feelings and he's pleasable. And what pleases him really was Joseph being restored to his brothers. Now, I don't know what your view of God is, but if my view of God were like that view of Pharaoh, why would I want to hang out with the guy? Why would I want to pursue him? To placate him? And I realized this sort of earlier in my faith. And a lot of it comes from traveling around the world and seeing a handful of these things that are called gods. Is that everybody else seems to worship God to keep them away. Have you noticed that? Arriving in the Cal Calcutta, not California, uh, that's a different God from the Arriving in the Calcutta, one of the first things I would notice is shrines on every corner, literally shrines on every corner. There are 30 million plus gods in India. And I didn't even have the right one. Well, there, one of their gods is Cali. And this Cali character is a god of vengeance, a god of chaos. And one of the first things I saw was this man about 90 years old, naked, and rolling down a hill that has pieces of broken bone and glass and stones that he had placed there. And of course, I turned to our host and asked, what in the world is this man doing? Now, I thought he was going to say something kind of cheap, kind of like, well, you know, when we get older, we get a little weird around here. But he didn't do anything of the sort. Apparently, he said, this is an act of worship. I turned to this man, seeking to be kind of careful, but I thought, God would want you to do that to yourself and call it worship. But then I can't help but think if you remember the story of Eliyahu and the prophets of Baal. Remember when the showdown is taking place, it's in 1 Kings, and as it's the case, that Elijah's standing there, Eliyahu, and he's made his altar, he's prepared the altar, prepared the sacrifice, and these guys over here are just trying to get fired out from heaven, which, by the way, is supposed to be the way that Baal speaks. <laughs> They're on Mount Carmel, which is supposed to be, by the way, Baal's home, and they slaughter an ox, which is what Baal is supposed to ride upon. In other words, no, more, no one can have a more home court advantage than the prophets of Baal. You are at his house, he speaks through lightning, or supposed to, so they're asking about, they're calling for lightning, and he slaughtered his car. And yet tore apart his lotus in his driveway. He should respond. But if you remember what he doesn't, do you remember what they do? They dance into each other. And by the way, that's where I, I think it's the invention of moshing right there. And then <laughs> they cut themselves with lances and with stones. This was their act of worship. So this isn't new. And I ask, well, how does this person expect to respond. I said, well, then he won't visit them with chaos. 
God to keep him away. I think, wow. And then I realized as I read through so many other books, and I don't want to pick on I don't want to pick on a religion, let's just pick on them all. The bottom line is, and is that if we read the Bible and compare it to anything else, we don't worship a God to keep him away, first of all. If we do that, we've got the wrong God. And if we worship a God even to draw him near, which by the way can't be a contemporary worship thought, which is still unscriptural. We don't worship God to draw him near. We worship God because he is near. Doesn't he live inside of you the moment you said yes to him? How much nearer can he get than that? You're thinking, wow, but what happens in this act of praise is often we kind of realize where in the world he is. And I love the fact that we don't worship a God, and when we do that, because it's like, well, if I do this, maybe he won't visit me with wrath one more day. And you know, we'll look at each other like that. Oh, something bad happened to you. What did you do to anger God? And I wonder sometimes it's like, you know what, you grab the hammer, you hit yourself in the face with it, and don't tell me God gave you a black eye. And then I look at views of eternity. Oh, I could become something better than a bug if I'm nice and this. Or that in this particular thing, I could get rivers of wine so I could be wasted in women chain the couches. Now, excuse me, if I would have invented heaven, if I would have invented heaven, they wouldn't have needed chains. They would have all just loved me anyways. I mean, the thought of that's weird to me. But I look at them and I think, well, where is he in it? Where's the God in that? Maybe a couple couches ahead of me? And I, and I don't mean that to be crass. The whole point is, is that our God is a blessable God who we don't worship because he's and maybe he'll not be as angry and nasty and grumpy if we do. We're not placating our God. We're praising him. And if your view is different, let me challenge you. Stop inventing him and read the Bible. And you say, well, there are times when God smites someone. Well, sure, you know what, though? If you really think that smiting something is a bad idea, I hope you never get cancer. Because I would hope if you have cancer, that radiation smites your cancer. Because it's deleterious to you and it destroys you. Now understand in this, one thing I learned about fear from the and this isn't, well, we can say, we can assume he's an unstable guy, we really don't even know. I mean, he certainly has a great deal of respect for Joseph, is the guy is pleased. David would say in Psalm 41:11, by this I know that you are well pleased with me, speaking about God, because my enemy doesn't triumph over me. So one thing David kind of recognized is that if you really were pleased with the enemy wouldn't win. And David was in a place, by the way, where if the enemy won, everyone would know it. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. That if you lose, for a moment you think, if you lose your grip of God, man, the whole world's going to know it. Well, let me just say this. Praise God, it's not about how to get evil out of him. Jesus had said in the Gospel of John that no one is able to snatch him out of my hand. In his hand, that marked the universe, exactly how long do you think your job? In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, not because the God loves to bruise his son, but he has made him, and put him to grief, when you make, listen, when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. In other words, he will actually have fruit, bear forth fruit, and prolong his days. Listen, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What's the, what will prosper in the hand of Jesus? And the pleasure of the Lord is you. That's the point of it. He delights in the praises of his people and rejoices over you with singing. Is that your God? Is it mine? 
this about Pharaoh. Verse 17, it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, and by the way, as we kind of compare the two, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I'll give you the best of the land in Egypt. You will eat of the fat of the land. Not only is he someone who is pleased, but he's someone who is provisioned. And notice he doesn't say, oh, go there, fight and strive and work hard and do all of this stuff, and maybe you can make it back. And if so, maybe I'll let you in. And this is so radically different from anything else that we do. And anything else, and I've said it before, we perform and God adjudicates. Maybe your good outweighs your bad. The problem is, in the middle of doing my good, I did some bad, too. And now I have to do more good to outweigh that. But in the middle of doing that good, I did some bad, too. This is a never-ending cycle. And at the end of it all, we're hopeful. Well, maybe my good outweighs my bad. And in every other system, idealism, mind, mindset, or religion, that's what you're going to find. And then I look at how, in Scripture, God created us. He did the performance at the cross to pay for us. <laughs> who say yes or no to this gift. And I think it's so strange that any person in their right mind could say no to the one God. And they can somehow, the enemy has convinced them or they've convinced them that something out there is better, even if it's temporary. But beloved, whether you know it or not, my God is infatuated, obsessed, irreversibly in love with you, and he chases after you. Every song sung by a bird outside those feathered sopranos, that song was written by God himself for you. It was a love song. You may not have interpreted it so, but it was. In a country where wildflowers grow amok, one thing's for sure, God is constantly laying out bouquets for you. And every look that's kind from a friend, every recognizable voice that sounds kind, is another reminder of a God who's still a hot pursuit. But beloved, don't miss this. We could easily say, well, I'm saved. God's done chasing after me. Really? Do you really think that God's an agenda-based God? You take this box. Got Marcy about a year ago. Move on to the next. Wouldn't that be awful? So he's chased after you, man. He's chased after you for years. Finally, God, you need to set up, will you? And you said, I do. Put the ring on and you altar. You said, I do. He said, I do. Put you in a brand new house that he had built for you. And he said, done with that. And then he goes on to the next one. <laughs> what kind of man would that be? What I've learned after 22 plus years is that the moment you say, I do, you say, I do commit to say, I do for the rest of my life. I commit to pursuing and for those who think that men can understand women, let me give you a little insight. It's true. Um, and, I, and I don't mean that to be mean. I mean it actually the opposite. The fact that you are so constantly in a beautiful state of evolution keeps us pursuing because we'll never get to the end of you. Because the moment we would have gotten to the end of you yesterday, you became something different today. And then it's like, well, who are you? And there's always the privilege of pursuing to discover. And, 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 you know, and I just love that. And I think God does that in some way, at least to remind me that there is this God who's still in hot pursuit today. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not cooled in his affections. He's not stopped in his value of you. He loves you now. 
choice for the cross for today made before him to redeem you, and it hadn't been made before this, he still would have said yes. And he provides provision. And here becomes the problem for thus for many of us. Jacob should be retiring. We should think. He's 130. He'll die at 147. Exactly what age should you start collecting a pension? I mean, you'd think by 130 is a fairly safe age. Matter of fact, could you imagine if this government said, you know, we'll start giving you a pension at 130. Well, you know, obviously, I should be careful. They might do that. Anyways, the reason I say that is, is that it's 130, and this man is still on journey. And he's going to have to leave everything he's comfortable with. To go to a place, by the way, that has a history in his family for failure. And it's a place where, well, it's a place where Grandpa said, this is my sister about his wife. Remember that? And plagues broke out in Israel. And we wonder why there's bad blood between them. And in all of that, now Joseph is alive, his spirit is alive. They're going to go back to my family. They need to get up and go. And you know, you're 130, I'll help you with it. And it's like, look it, I want to bring you back to the one place where salvation is found. Because everybody else in the world is going to die if they don't go to Joseph and get fed. Five more years of this family. And, and in that, I, I want you to recognize that the Lord's going to call you to do something similar. He's going to call you to leave it in your comforts, to go to a land perhaps that you're familiar with, but not necessarily the land you belong to anymore. He's going to call you to it. And the inevitable first question that will come to your mind, and I don't have to know you to know it will be your first, is how? How is this going to work out? I mean, if I really follow the Lord with Allah and the chutzpah, and I give him everything, this is somehow God's expecting you to figure out a payment plan for your life when he was the one redeeming from your sin. How is he going to provide? You know what? I love it when God actually gives us option B when we gave him A through C. Did you learn that? God, you know, I'm giving you a good mind on my shoulders. I feel like you're giving me the ability to surmise the situation and come up with options. So I thought I would do you a favor. Now, you don't even have to look at much. Just choose. Here's A, here's B, here's C. Here's the timetable for each of them, and here's the risk factor. I've done it all for you as if the Lord were the CEO of the universe. And, you know, I just don't want to bug you too much because, after all, I'm just kind of a little peon employee versus a son that you died for to be with. And, and then all of that, so, so here's the options. And God looks at it, and he smiles, and he's like, oh, bless your heart. And then he's like, I've got an option B. And you're like, I didn't give you an option B. And God kind of smiles and says, because let's face it, if God picked A through C, what happens to the next problem? We're back at the drawing board there, figuring it out again. The moment he gives us D, we have that darn taxing text that we all seem to know in our heads, lean out upon our own, yeah, darn it, understanding. And he has to be bigger than my understanding. But if he's bigger than, if he's small enough for me to fully understand, how do I put that verse into practice? And so we're like, how does God do this and this? And it's like, how do I I'm not leaning on my understanding. I'm resting on my faith. And, and then it's just like, God, how are you going to provide? Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> young. And now I'm old. This is David speaking, not me, of course. Psalm 37, 25. And some of you know this verse, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their descendants or children bear his name. David's like, you know, some things I've learned in the older life. That was one of them. In Exodus 33, verse 14, God says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Leviticus 26, verse 4, it's rain and it's season, land and produce, the land will produce its produce, the trees will bear its fruit. All he's asking you to do is play each one. And that becomes the rough part. In other words, it's like, look at, I'm not asking you to figure it out. What I'm asking you to do is to cling to me. Cling to you. But you know what? There's something fun about holding on to a God who really does live to bless you. He promises the nations that were our enemies as an inheritance in Psalm 2. He promises a new heart in Ezekiel 36, 36, 36. A crown of life in, in Revelation 2.10. Listen to this verse. And realize both miracles. Psalm 84.11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. Which, by the way, some days we'd rather have him as a sun here, most of the days. And then there are days like this we'd rather have him as a shield. says, the Lord will give grace and glory. Now here, listen, listen, listen. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk with him. Two variables. What's the most obvious variable? Learn it out. Which one? If you're not getting something, what's the one when you read that verse, what's the thing you're probably thinking? Oh, interesting. What else? What do you think? My first thought is, I'm probably not walking upright anymore. Any of you agree with that? You know, ah, I could get the good thing, I just need to walk more uprightly. What does that mean? Well, I'm a homo sapien, maybe I slouch too much in my faith. You know, or maybe if I prayed more, and I kneeled on beans, and I was at church more, you know, maybe if I carried more stuff, and I gave more to charities, and maybe if I saw everything, and I live as a pauper, and I beat my breast, and walk around in something uncomfortable, which, by the way, in those days with sackcloth, these days, I think we call that polyester. That's another story. <laughs> you know, you get to all of this, it's like, oh, now I'm walking more. I'm running gathers. No, 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 no. The whole thing's always been clean to me. There's that other side to it, that's the part I don't like to recognize, because that's the easier part, because that relies on me somehow. That's no good thing. See, sometimes I'm way convinced something was a good thing that God knows better. And I keep thinking, if I walk more brightly, or I try to act more pious, maybe God will give it to me. Strangely enough, it starts to become my idol, because I'm not willing to listen to God say, I'm not giving it to you, because it's not a good thing. You're 11, you're 12, you're 13, you were raised on Disney films, and you see a person, and you think, I'm going to spend the rest of my life, or at least my lunch, with this girl. <laughs> oh, God, please, have her fall in love with me. And she doesn't. And you think, if I walk more quietly, she'd fall in love with me. God says, it's not a good thing. And sometimes, by the way, a good thing isn't a good thing because you're not in a position a chainsaw. Ha! That's not going to happen. <laughs> chainsaw can't be a good thing in the hands of my now nine-year-old bad thing. And it isn't because she, well, yeah, she is. But I mean, <laughs> sometimes something just isn't good because it's not a season for it. You're like, I'm single. Where is my spouse? Yeah.
charitable nonprofit fees. You're aware of those, perhaps you can buy them at just about any cart selling candidate. They look the same, I don't know if they sell the same. They were broken within the day. I, I didn't keep them, I actually gave them to someone I love. But they were broken on his knees. <laughs> And they were cheap. <laughs> but sometimes it's like we're not in a season to take something because it's easy. Something, something just break without us trying because we're not in a place to take it. One verse, and I just want to say this generally to anyone that might have amen anything earlier. <laughs> Psalm 92.13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Remember, the house is the place where we're intimate. The court is the place where we interface with the rest of the world. And so once you're planted in that place where we're intimate, and then the rest of the world will flourish. Now that doesn't mean you're going to get the new lotus. <laughs> Sorry to say about that. You might, but I'm, it's not, that's not God's greatest prosperity by any means. But the Lord's job, and some of you have heard this, if it's God's will, it's God's will. If it's God's vision, it's God's provision. Some of us are not legally allowed to work in this country. And you're not even allowed to give us money for it. Isn't that awesome? For a person who knows what it's like to say, well, I'll just work a little harder and get something, it is the most humbling thing. You just have to trust the Lord. And you know what? I hate the place and I love the place, is all I'm saying. Because there is nothing I can do about it but pray. Truth be told, that's every one of us, whether you know what or not. Is the job you have still the one God gave you, or he'll get you out of it? And no matter where that money's coming from or however that provision is, the bottom line is if it came to him, it's his job too. You think I'm going to turn to my children and say, well, you know, you're 14, by this point you should be paying rent. But some of you would think, well, that might be a good life lesson. Well, the life lesson here is you've got a father who loves you. In verse 19, it says, Now you are commanded to do this. Take hearts out of the earth. For your little ones, your wives, and bring your father. So the third thing, by the way, he promises this passage. It's his job not only to provide for you, but it's his job to get you there. Please hear me on that. Jesus, of course, makes that clear in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. If we were just the way, we might get there, but we wouldn't even know we were there when we got there. But because he's the truth, we know where we're going and we know how we're getting there. But also, if you were just the way in the truth, we might not enjoy it, but he's also the light. So we can get there, we can know where we are, and we can enjoy the ride. And that's not, Jesus doesn't say, I give the ride. I am the GPS. God's positional satellite. He said, no, or God's perfect savior, that he is. He says, okay. I'm not the thing you just look at every once in a while and I'll say, <laughs> you know, he's the one who actually says, why don't you hop in, I'll be your vehicle. And what I love about Pharaoh here is he's like, look, your dad's how old? Because he just said, I don't know, it's been quite a while. He was over 100 when I was, you know, when I left. And he's like, well, that's how you go. Let's take care of your dad. Let's send over him home. Now, understand, it's a famine. Everybody's starving to death, and we live in an agrarian culture, which means we're all farmers, and everything's barren. Everything's probably either blowing by. People
people are shooting westerns because it looks so barren. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, we're digging down, you know, four meters into the ground to look for water, you know, hoping to find some somewhere. And all this, the last thing you're going to kind of think there somewhere on the farm is that all of a sudden all these, like, big old stretch limos with the flags in the front kind of going to show up. I go, don't worry, Dad, hop on in, hop on in. We've got a new place for you. I mean, and that's what, that's what Pharaoh's always been. Let's, let's send this thing. Let's take care of it. And then he says this. Look at verse 20. Do not be concerned. Now, the word for concern, by the way, works with, and I love it, the Hebrew word literally means to cover. I mean, you know, you probably would affect every Hebrew word comes from the birth. And, and look at what he's saying. Don't not, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best in the land of Egypt, by the way, is the only place that's experiencing some form of physical prosperity at the moment. Now, I love the fact that he uses, and there are several words for it to be agitated. We'll see that word a little later. Uh, and there are a handful of other words, but the word he uses is to cover. And I understand this because if you're anything like me or our household, there's like the boxes to tick before you leave the house. And you're like, okay, do I have that covered? Do I have that covered? Do I have that covered? Okay, did I bring this with me? Do I have headphones that I can actually wear and listen to something while I'm, you know, I have to, so that I don't have to engage some human being on or whatever. Yeah, you know, it looks weird when I try to talk to them and then I don't realize they have them in. You know, like, they just see you going, yeah, your Bible open and they're pushing it in. And, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, do I have those things covered? And then here's the thing, don't, don't miss this, because there's that beautiful concept that Pharaoh was telling him, look at when your dad gets, when you get to your dad, tell him, stop worrying about you got everything covered. Just come, follow me. I'll take care of it. I'll get you there. I'll provide for you to make sure you're there. Here's the whole thing to take care of it. Now, for that, the issue is whether we're going to be a Jacob or an, or, an, or an Isaac when it actually comes. And notice what it says. He says that, and so he gave to each man, in verse 22, changes of garments, but to Benjamin, which, by the way, is, of course, his, the only full brother that Joseph has, he says he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now, interesting that God allowed the society to be in the case that the person you give five changes of clothing to is the person that's your honored dignitary. And here is Joseph giving that honored dignitary, making that his whole brother. But there's something profound about that when I got to the New Testament. And by the way, this is something in my own journey with the Lord, because I decided to dig this up and say, well, how many places in Scripture in the New Testament does God tell us to put something new on? Do you know how many times? Five. And I just find that interesting, because that's exactly what Joseph does here at the Council of Benjamin. You give him five changes of clothing which would be the amount of clothing you would give an individual that you are going to honor as, hear me, hear me, as a dignitary. Not just somebody squeaking in at the end of it all, but somebody that actually is going to, the spot is going to shine upon, you will be announced at the door, and everybody bows in respect. And this is what is given here. Now listen, so you know I'm not making this up. Galatians 3.27, it says, You were baptized in Christ, therefore put on Christ. That's my first of those five garment changes, and the fundamental, of course. Ephesians 4.24, it says, Now put on the new man, which was created, by the way, according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So I'm putting on Christ, I'm putting on the new man. And for Ephesians 6.11, does anyone know what that is? To put on the whole armor of God. So it's Christ, the new man, the whole armor of God. In Colossians 3.12, it says that as the elect, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. Interesting five things in and of itself. And these are all things, in essence, it's a put on a new personality. One that's compassionate and cares about others. That's the fourth of them. And then in Colossians 3.14 it says, But above all things put on love, which then is the bond of perfection. And that's all that, and I think, what a beautiful thing that God says, here's your new wardrobe, friends. 
a woman with an honored dignity. Christ, the new man, the whole armor, a new personality, amen, Lord. And I see Joseph now doing that to his friend. Verse 23, he sent his father these things. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread. Food for his father for the journey. And he sent his brothers away. And he departed and he said to them this. See that you do not become troubled along the way. Now this isn't that same word as before. This is the word rakaz. Can you say rakaz? And the word means to quiver, to be agitated with violent emotion. You can take it one of two ways. Don't be so scared if you don't come back. Or don't get angry at each other on the way so you get so divided you don't make it back. And you'd say, well, which one is it? Why not? It's probably both. Because the issue on this case is, is that God has a place of provision for you, a place where he really wants to take care of you. Which, by the way, with things that are going to be more, more, much more of a blessing than God is supposed to fully thankful for. Because if you were bankrupt or full, but you were miserable and rotten and a bigger jerk for it and less reliant on God, God did himself no favor by giving you any of those things. But if God could be your love and your peace and your joy and your patience, and in being those things you cling to them, that's win-win as far as God's concerned. So do I believe God wants you to prosper? Absolutely. Do I believe in God's prosperity? Absolutely. But if you think I'm talking money, you've got the wrong guy. God wants to prosper you. But the greatest prosperity any human could have is Christ. And that's where the prosperity is, my friends. And if you add the other stuff, may it be without the tumult that should come with it more and more. May you actually use it as a vehicle. And so here's fairly go slipping. All right. Joseph, you want your family here? You love, listen, listen, you love these people. And if you love these people, there's only one place where they're going to be taken care of. It's here. We don't want this to be a long distance thing. The best thing you can do is get them here. Just get them to the place where they're going to be brought. But you know what, Joe? You've been faithful, and I want to use you. As a, as a, you've obviously been a vehicle for restoration with this family of yours that seems to Great new exercise that you're doing, because that's what you want. So, why don't you now use all those resources to take care of them so you can be a brother for The reason is that God loves the people you love. I am confident God loves the people you love more than you. I'm convinced that He loves you more than you love you, which we can all agree is a miracle. And I don't know you personally that well, but I know me well enough to think that you're probably like me. Now, if that, if that be the case, friends, if that be the case, would the Lord do what was necessary to take care of it and finish the job? Do you think that God ever started a new hand and gave up in the middle of it? Just because you or I have? And you, by the way, are his masterpiece according to the creation. And according to Philippians, he will be that that work in you, that good work will be faithful to complete it. Because he actually surmised all of the cost before we started it. I do like that. You'll discover things and, and realize. See, in the beginning, we came to Christ and we went, wow, that was a pretty horrible big project. Halfway through it, somewhere we're like, you know what? That wasn't that bad of a project after a while. And then we start discovering, wow, that was a bigger project than I thought. But see, the thing is, the Lord knew from the beginning the size of the project. We're discovering how bad of a project we were. Hardened clay that he has to loosen up. Full of dross he has to boil out. Clotted with chaff that he has to burn away. 
And in all of that, God knew all of that when he took you on in the first place, when he said, I do and died on the cross for you. You will never surprise him with something new. And then go, oh, Lord, I realize you're probably changing your mind now. Because he knew all of it when he said yes in the first place. But you realize, if that's the case, think of what the Lord is using in your life to chisel and to, and to purify and to, and to shape into that masterpiece. On a happy side, it will use friends. God willing, if you, if you're wise with the friends that you use, that will encourage you, that will challenge you to actually run where you're walking, sprint where you're running, and endure like a marathon. Be a real friend. Well, relax, Katie, pray. How your relationship with your husband or wife? Hey, how's your quiet times with the Lord? What's, what's the Lord telling you in the Word? And it isn't like those are like jargon talk. That's actually honest things because a real friend is going to really challenge you to the very best. How are you in your faithfulness? How are you in your purity? How are you in your commitment? And, he's not, and the Lord can use people like that, which, by the way, let's be honest, will irritate the heck out of you when you backslid or walk in the flesh. Praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, when a friend is doing that and it irritates you, it should be a pretty good indicator right away that you've got problems. But the Lord doesn't always just use that. The Lord, of course, will use all kinds of things that are freaking out. Because if he's going to sand away from you stuff, he's going to use things that are going to grind you down. That will be trials. That will be a relationship gone sour. That will be all kinds of things that appear to be over and else. You think, oh, Lord, really? This? Blessed is the chisel. And I want to warn you, those of you who are married, you know this. One of the greatest chisels that will be both of those things is your spouse. There'll be those moments where they're your cheerleader and you're thinking, oh, yeah, right. And there's other moments where they're just going to grind you down and you're thinking, what? Now understand, I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's a wonderful thing. And the, the, it's sort of like timing and aesthetic at the moment. And that's the idea of walking in the Spirit. It's the Lord anesthetizing you so that you can't grind off stuff you would hold on to while he's pulling it away from you. Blessed is the artist who never stops using his work. And so think about what the Lord has used in regards to that. Think of the challenges that the Lord has overcome that's given you the testimony he had of you today as he's been your strength, as he's carried you, as he's provided for you. Now here's the wild thing. Are you ready for this? You're not only the person who's received those things, you're also the person who's been those things to others. Now, which of those two would you rather be? Would you rather be the friend that encourages that way, or would you rather be the person that volunteers with the embrace of the other The reason I say that is because the Lord still has a plan for every one of you. And if the Lord has put on your heart people you love and wants to pull them to a place where they actually can go in the right things for the kingdom of God, the plenty and the bad of the land, that kind of thing he's going to use you. And he's not only going to
face it, if I'm busy as Reuben arguing with sinning, and sinning is busy arguing with Judah, and Judah is busy arguing with the Levites, and all of a sudden, well, all our clients are going to be separate. You know, it's like, hey, listen, we're the Levites over here. We have yet to become priests, but we're the Levites, and we don't want anything to do with the rest of you guys. And you know what happens at that moment. Not a single one of us are going to tell down. We're so angry. We don't want to talk to anyone. We lock ourselves in our room. We cry like teenagers. And then, by the way, I don't have the priest God up in teenage like that. Um, and, and, and I just want you to know that, that we can get like that. We isolate and we criticize and we barricade and we insulate. And meanwhile, people are dying around us because we won't tell the people we love because we're too busy being angry at the other people. You know, the most amazing thing is, is that we'll get people, hear me, hear me, we can get people to hate Christians and therefore we can get people because they can't decide for Jesus Christ. They hate Christ. Because we've got a problem we need to simple command, but notice that command again, because it's the same command the Lord's going to tell you, by the way. And that command is, see that you do not become trouble along the way. You are en route, whether you like it or not, you are en route right now. What's interfering with you? What right now is causing this to happen? If Satan is the accuser of the brethren, would he love to accuse others to you and you to others? Because that would be just love it for you to be overwhelmed with fear of rejection and people hating you or whatever, because wouldn't that be causing problems? Well, friends, listen. The Lord loves these people, and he wants them to know of his love. And he loves you so much, he wants to accuse you anyway. And, 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 and you know the questions that well, the fear will be? How are you going to provide? How are you going to lead? It's the very things that we see that there was already Understand, even when they get there to your dad, dad got his own fears to overcome. He has to leave everything he knows at 130 to go to Egypt. Think about how fearful that would be. And God will show the ways that he's going to work through that. Now look at it. We go to prayer. Let me start with this. If God didn't love you, you would never have died on the cross. You would never have said to set to die on the cross. And we've all, chances are, been told by someone that they cared about us and that it really and in the end of it all, if we could be honest, what really equates with honest love is sacrifice. What really shows a person's care is how much they're willing to sacrifice. The person that says, I have all kinds of plans of how you can sacrifice for me, oh, they're actively loving, or they're actively loving themselves, and they're fearing you to do so as well. And I think we've all either been there or done it, more than likely. absolute than when you were in pain, when you were absolutely guilty for the crimes against this individual, but they chose to pay all those price themselves, died on the cross for you and raised again. That is the gospel message and the true standard love which the Bible constantly uses as its definition for love. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to make us rich in Christ. For God so loved the
other cases, we're not taking some special collection. We're not, we're not ongoing with this. If you gave to us a little like this, I would be so guilty because what you need to do is give to the Lord. And what I mean by that is not your money first. It's you yourself first. All the other stuff would be in charity if, you, if your heart belongs to him. And I'd love to pray with, for you, but also I'd love for you to pray for me. Because in this journey, we are in a place where we are forced for God to provide. We are forced, but, but by the way, before I even see God's provision, before I even see God's passage, before I even see God's promise that the best is yet to be, and in the end of it all, giving us these clothes, he's even given us purpose and position. Before I see any of that, remember what the first thing was? Because that's the thing where all of this thing is from. That was his pleasure. You know why he provides for me? Because it pleases him to do so. Do you know why he gives me passage? Because it pleases him to be so. Do you know why he fills my world with his precious promises? Because it pleases him to give so. Do you know why he gives me position and purpose? Because it pleases him to see so. And in all of that, he is a God that can be pleased. And the craziest thing in all of eternity is that he can be pleased with me. And my, the, the thing that brings him pleasure is not my performance. And that's all of these things are only to draw me closer to him. Where are you at today? And might I just say, as we go to prayer now, please, please, see that you do not bring trouble on you. Pray with me, you? Lord God, I thank you for the honor that it is chisels that have carved away from me that which even my friends may not have been able to do, but you have. That have made me more like you. And Lord, even today I want to put new on Jesus. Putting on the new man, the whole armor, a better human being, kinder, with tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and love. I found love pray, Lord, as you've promised and as you provide those things that are the good fruit of your provision, 
and the blessings of your provision as I see it firsthand. I thank you that you have provided salvation for me, not that I earned. That you have provided a way out from every temptation. You've provided deliverance from the kingdom of darkness and the grasp of the enemy. You've provided me life and a new wardrobe and new provision. And I just pray right now that you would send me out of here trusting that it's your provision, trusting in your promises, trusting in your purpose. But first and foremost in all that, trusting in your pleasure. And in your pleasure, I And Lord, if there be anyone or many who have not accepted the gift of your Son through all of the things that they've heard, I pray right now that you show them by the power of your Holy Spirit the necessity of choice. And if that's you right now, and you know you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just would like to pray a prayer, and at the end of it, if you agree, I ask you to say amen. What you're saying is, I agree, let these words be my words, let this prayer be my prayer. And here it is, God, I, 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 I'm guilty, I know I'm guilty before you, I've done wrong, but I also know you sent your Son to die on the cross. Even when I was your enemy, you sent your son to die on the cross to provide for me restitution, to pay for my guilt. And in that right now, in that right now, you offer me deliverance, salvation, innocence for my guilt. And I say yes. I say yes to your gift. Your gift of salvation. Trusting Jesus' death on the cross to pay for all my wrongs. And as you resurrected on the third day, I trust you tonight. That he offers me that new life that you offer me in him. And I say yes to Jesus not only as my Savior, but yes to him as my Lord. And as you lead me now, lead me to you. And I know that's where you are. Thank you, even in this Pharaoh, for the example you've given me. But Lord, now as I seek to follow you, I will trust in your provision, your promises.